0: Well, welcome to the Marty Minto Show podcast. I am your host, Marty Minto. Music provided to us by Apologetics, that Christian parody band. Check them out online, apologetics.com. I'll tell you, another day that the Lord has given to us. I don't know about you, but uh, I am just delighted to be here with you again today. Uh, We're in the midst of this series, How to Study and Understand God's Word. And uh there's so much to it. Uh there's a part of me, I can't lie to you, that uh, almost feels like I am just shortchanging you because this um this teaching that I did um quite some time ago uh really took about I think it was about eight weeks we we end up spending on this whole series with a group of people, I think it were about fifty or sixty people showed up for the event um it was a great class we learned so much even myself putting it all together and um i'm giving you as much as i possibly can in this podcast uh but there are you know things i'm hoping on your own that uh, will encourage you challenge you to look further to study further to um you know look into some of the reference um material things that i give you as far as uh, ideas and places to turn Uh, there's so much to this. But last time we got together, um, you know, I was thinking about this, too, just a few moments ago. we got to remember our three priorities. We're learning God's Word together in order to teach others and to defend the truth, because, again, in the last days, the real issue is going to be false teachers within the visible church, people teaching things, saying things that are just not true. But we were talking last time we got together about the principles for good Bible study. We, we talked about finding a translation that you understand, uh, preferably a word-for-word translation, finding a quiet place to study, or maybe you're like me <laughs> somewhere. It could be busy. I like to have music on when I'm studying, um, but I could tune everybody out, and that's just me, but I've been doing that for many, many years. You need to ask the important questions, like the first one, the, the three who's. Who is the, you know, is the first person, you know, or the—where did it originate from? Well, the Bible, all of Scripture is God-breathed, so it all started with God. The second who is the writer, if we know who the writer is, the human author that God used, the Holy Spirit carried alongside to make sure that what was spoken, what was put down on the parchment was accurate, was correct. And then the third who, uh, you know, who was it spoken or written to? And uh, these things are of the utmost importance. I cannot stress this enough. And for those of you out there uh, who maybe you've never heard this before, these are principles, along with others we're going to learn today, that are very, very important. Um, Again, all of Scripture originated with God. Uh, We have to understand that all of Scripture is written for us, but not to us. Again, this is a major problem today in biblical interpretation, because people want uh, everything to be for them, and it's not necessarily for them or written to them, but we can learn from them. We can learn from what is written down. Uh, we find that in the book of Corinthians. Paul writes that to the church of Corinth, that uh, that which is uh, written about, about those, the children of Israel and being t- taken out of Egypt and in the desert, and with whom God wasn't you know, he wasn't pleased with most of them who came out of Egypt, but but it was written down, it was told to us for us to learn from, so that we wouldn't follow their, their examples. But it wasn't, these things weren't spoken directly to us, but again, we can learn from it. Um, but again, that's a whole, that's a real issue today uh, that I cannot stress enough. And so when we are, you know, when we're looking at the Bible, God's Holy Word, as we mentioned last time, I tried to give you some fun facts when it comes to the Word of God, and I still want to give you some other fun facts that will help you. Um, First of all, you, you need to realize that the Bible itself, believe it or not, was divided into chapters by Stephen Langton about A.D. 1228, The Old Testament was divided into verses by R. Nathan in A.D. 1448, and the New Testament by Robert Stephanus in A.D. 1551. Um, As I told you last time, the Old Testament has 39 books, the New Testament 27, but in the Old Testament, those 39 books are divided into five main divisions. You have the Pentateuch, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, you have the historical books from Joshua to Esther. You have the poetic books from Job to Song of Solomon. You have the major prophets Isaiah to Daniel, and you have the minor prophets Hosea to Malachi. Then, when it comes to the New Testament, again, these are fun facts just to just to kind of maybe you've never heard this before. Um, of the twenty-seven books in the New Testament, there are four main divisions. You have the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have history, which is the book of Acts. You have the epistles, which are Romans to Jude. And again, the epistles are the letters written to specific churches and believers at specific times. Then you have the prophetic book, the book of Revelation. But it's interesting, the book of Revelation, even though it's prophetic, it's not all prophetic. Matter of fact, much of the book of Revelation we could turn back and find directly from the Old Testament. Now, remember what I said last time. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Uh, this is a fun fact. A lot of people say you can't trust the Bible. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's a man—I've already said the first two is God, so we, we can we can get through that argument. But is the Bible reliable? You know, you t- I've already mentioned it, but 1,600 years to write the Bible. Uh, it's been a long time. Is it trustworthy? Well, get this. The Bible is 98.5% textually pure. That means that through all the copying of the biblical manuscripts of the entire Bible, only about 1.5% has any questions about it. But listen to this. Nothing in all of the ancient writings of the entire world even comes close to the accuracy of the biblical documents. A matter of fact, this is important for you to understand. The 1.5% that is in question does not even affect doctrine. Um, these areas are called variants, and they consist mainly of variations of wording and spelling. So it doesn't have to do with accuracy, in the sense that that we're, we're, we're creating you know, a doctrine that didn't exist, we're, we're playing with some doctrine, we're, we're messing things up. No, no. This has to do with, once again, the variations of wording and spelling. Now, the Old Testament does not have many supporting manuscripts, but the New Testament does. And so, you know, it's important for us to understand that because, you know, people sometimes, unless at least those who are quote-unquote think they're scholarly, will sometimes, uh, you know, debate those issues. Um, we know that in 1947, another fun fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls, were discovered. And they really brought about a reliability to verify the fact that the Old Testament manuscripts could be trusted. Um, they were actually hidden in a cave in Israel, um, and the scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, contained many Old Testament books, one of them being Isaiah. Um, before the Dead Sea Scrolls, the earliest existing manuscripts of the Old Testament was dated around 900 AD, called the Masoretic Text. The scrolls themselves contained Old Testament documents a thousand years earlier. Now, this is this is big stuff here. Again, this is stuff that I think we need to understand. The New Testament, though, has over 5,000 supporting Greek manuscripts that are in existence today with another 20,000-plus manuscripts and actually in other languages. Um, There is actually less than 1% textual variation in the New Testament manuscripts. And uh, we could talk about that. We could talk about English translation, when the first English translation came about, all that by John Wycliffe. I, I mean, there are some things that are absolutely positively Mind-boggling, but yet challenging and exciting to learn about the Bible, and I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. Um, if you've never taken the time to look into this, I would encourage you um, to do so. Matter of fact, talking about John Wycliffe, um, he was the first one who initiated the English Bible or the translation. It was actually completed by John Purvey in AD 1388. The first American edition of the Bible was published, I believe somewhere around AD 1752. Uh, the Bible had actually been translated in part or whole as of 1964 in over 1,200 different languages or dialects. Wow! I mean, stuff like that, they're fun facts, and they're things that we learn together, and I really mean that. We learn together because they're of great importance. Now, let's go back to and continue to our principles of good Bible study. One of the things that we have to remember when it comes to the Bible, we cannot make the Bible say what we want it to say. Um, I gotta be honest with you. This is one of the things that can find ourselves in a world of mess because people, uh, they just want the Bible to say what they want it to say. I am convinced today that, and I I think that people do so maybe not in a literal way, a figurative way, but yet it is literal because there are parts of the Bible they don't want to deal with. It's like giving someone a black permanent magic marker, and they determine as they read the Bible what they want to accept and what they don't want to accept. And see, we can't study God's Word that way. We can't come to the table and say, you know, this is what I believed, this is what I, I, I have believed for a time period because of my parents, because of what I was taught in Sunday school, because of whatever, and, you know, so I, this is where I'm standing. No. What we have to understand is is that when it comes to the interpretation of God's Holy Word, uh, the Bible is the best interpreter of itself. Now, some passages are more obscure or less clear than others. But remember, where did it all originate? It's God's Holy Word. I stress that so much when I uh, tell people, share with people, talk with people when I'm teaching, when I'm preaching. Matter of fact, when I preach at churches, when it comes to the reading of God's Word, I have people stand in honor of God and His Word. And I do so because I firmly believe it. We're hearing from God. This is what God said. And it should do something to us. We should be awestruck. We, we should be uh, captivated, uh, just mesmerized. We should be awed by the fact that we're hearing from God. But the Bible is the best interpreter of itself. Um, I love to use this phrase because I think it is important. It's a part of what scholars have called the synthesis principle. And here it is in simple language. Scripture interprets Scripture. Again, the Bible is the best interpreter of itself. So if we take Scripture and we cross-reference, or we take places that seem to be less clear and more obscure to us, and we go to other passages of Scripture, uh, Scripture will close in the gaps. It'll make it more clearer as we read another passage or text that is truly the same or is referring to the same thing. That's why it's so dangerous just to take one Scripture and try to somehow build some type of doctrine upon it, because there are times that we don't get the whole picture. Like, for for instance, a, a dear friend of mine, brother in Christ, wrote to me today in a text, and he said, you know, he's just frustrated with the churches in his community, and he's frustrated with some Christians, rightfully so, but he hears that, you know, what we've probably all heard— Judge not, lest thou be judged. Don't judge somebody because, you know, if you judge others, you're going to be judged for that. Judging is wrong. Is it really? Jesus talks about a righteous judgment. I want you to think about it. Sometimes we have believed, we have bought into things that are just not true when it comes to just reading one particular passage of Scripture and then building upon that because we haven't read the whole word and we haven't allowed Scripture to interpret Scripture. Jesus talks about a righteous judgment. Now, in judging not, what does that mean? What does that word judge mean? What, what is the context of that passage? Is it the fact that we can't look at someone and say that's wrong or, you know, we shouldn't point a finger or we shouldn't tell them that that's not allowed or that, you know, a a lot of folks who are involved in sin love to use that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure you do, and I'm sure you've heard it or maybe you've used it or maybe you stand upon it, but in Matthew chapter 7 it says, "'Do not judge lest you be judged yourselves.'" For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it shall be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrites! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly enough to take the speck Out of your brother's eye. Well, again, if we don't understand what that means, we just stick to the do not judge. You shouldn't be saying that. I've heard that so many times where I've told people, what you're doing is sin. It's wrong. Who are you to judge? That's being judgmental. That's not Christianity. Jesus didn't judge people like that. You hear it quite often today like with homosexuality. Uh, any type of sexual sin that people just think that you're you're pointing a finger you're trying to throw the stone you know they'll always go well Jesus said you who haven't sinned cast the first stone see you're not perfect see you're judging you're you're condemning me but they don't understand that we can't just look at that one verse and then jump off the diving board and by the way if you do that you'll realize when you come and hit the water you're going to splat because there ain't no water in the pool you got to understand what is being spoken there about judging judging people and judgment jesus talked about a righteous judgment matter of fact if you don't understand that that be the case and again i'm only giving you little bits and pieces you go to john chapter 7 verse 24 here's what jesus says do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment hmm Another way, In other words, simply put, there's a, a right way to judge people, and how do you judge with righteous judgment? According to the Word of God, because God's Word is righteous, God is just, God ultimately is the judge, and when God condemns something, He condemns it's wrong, it's sin. That's why, once again, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's out in the forefront. Homosexuality is sin. I don't care how wonderful and loving people may be in so-called a relationship. Homosexuality is sin. But any sex outside of the marriage bed between one man and one woman, husband and wife, is sin. Because God said it. Because God brings the righteous judgment. That's what it's all about. And until we, we understand that, you know, we, we judge or we condemn based upon appearance— Upon what we see, but once again, we have to go back to the Word of God. There has to be an understanding of truth. What is right, what is wrong, what is acceptable, what is not. And there have been a lot of people that have judged, there have been people that have condemned people. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, uh, when Peter had the vision of all the meat. And everything, And you know the truth of the matter is, he, he wouldn't be a partaker of all that. He wouldn't be one who would have went to the Samaritans or go to, to the Gentiles. He wouldn't associate with them, he wouldn't be a part of them because he was a Jew, and salvation belonged to the Jews. And you could read the whole story in, uh, in the book of Acts, and you could see God had to show him that salvation went beyond just the Jews that nothing is unclean of itself. God has deemed that food, all food is clean. And that judgment, that judgment that really was an unrighteous judgment by Peter upon people, and their need or their right to hear the gospel was defined by God. The gospel was to go into all the world, to all people. And I could say so much more about that. I don't want to get preachy. I'm just trying to say we have a tendency— Uh, to judge to look at people and again in that passage too you know you first got to look at your own life i mean i I hear this all the time it's so easy to point out sin i heard heard a story the other day um a, a lady told me about her daughter and said said to me i really think my daughter's making some strides in the right direction i said really She said, yeah, my daughter recently in a conversation was talking about the sins of other people and the wickedness and the things that we're doing. And she said, I was so excited, uh, Brother Marty, because, you know, I I think my daughter's coming around. I I think she's, you know, God's doing something in her life because she's recognizing all this bad in other people's lives. And I said, sister, I said, I I appreciate what you shared, but I'm a little bit concerned. She said, well, about what? I said, your daughter's living in sin. She was in living with a man. She's shacking up with a man who's not her husband. But yet she's pointing out what other people were doing is wrong. She's not even looking at her own life. See, see, we don't like that. It's so easy to look at other people and to say, oh, look, that's horrible. Can you believe they're doing that? Can you believe that they're saying that? Can you believe they live like that? Can you believe that? The first and foremost, what matters is, is because all men, each of us, will give an account of ourselves unto God. Every one of us. That's what matters first and foremost. So how can you, quote-unquote, help the brother who has a speck in his eye when you have a log hanging out of your own eye? You can't do it. So once again, looking at the passage, understanding what's going on in the passage is of the utmost importance when it comes to to studying and understanding God's Word. Um, understand this. This is, this is big. Scripture always carries us who study God's Word, the reader, to ancient times. Now, the Bible is a book of history. There's much that we learn from it. So we are never trying to bring the ancient text into the modern day. We can't do that. When we read the Bible, when we even read the New Testament, we cannot create it to be the 21st century, which I find that a lot of people try to do that. Just as I mentioned in another podcast, we try to Americanize Christianity, which is of the utmost dangerous thing to do, because we're creating something that is not biblical. And there are people who do it, and they do it all the time. Matter of fact, I just posted this on my Facebook page. Uh, Somebody created it. It's uh, Evangelist Paul Washer. And he's talking to a group of students, and he says this, quote, if following Jesus Christ doesn't cost you anything, it's because you've bought into American Christianity. See, American Christianity creates a Christianity that is not biblical, it doesn't exist. It creates something that is feel-good and something that doesn't cost anybody anything, and it's it's something that's appeasing um, and experientially good for the person but it's not true biblical Christianity. And that's my point. When we are studying the Bible, we're, we are looking at ancient times. We're not trying to bring the text into the modern day today. Um, now, how about—and I hear this quite often, and some people get mad at me on this one— while we're trying to make the Bible relevant, we should not attempt to make the Bible relevant for us today. It is always relevant in every generation, in every culture, and geographic location, period. So when someone says, I, you know, we need to make the Bible relevant, they don't know what they're talking about. They, they have not a clue what they're talking about. And this in itself is very dangerous. Uh, and we got to be careful that we don't try to accomplish that. Um, and by doing so, it goes back to the principle we already talked about earlier on this broadcast. Don't make the passage say what you want it to say. You're not trying to create, you're not trying to make it relevant. You're not trying to make it current today. No, stop doing that. You're reading a piece of history. You're talking about the three who's you're asking the who, what, when, where, and why. Um, and you you got to be careful of this, as we already talked about. You can't hold on to, I, I heard this means, or I, I feel like this means. No, 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 no. Once again, secondhand theology. We're not talking here, sitting here, talking about experience. And, and for some people, unfortunately, but true, their experience in life or their personal experiences and testimonies um, are what drives them. But personal experiences and testimonies are subjective and cannot be trusted. God told me. I, I felt like God said this to me. I, I, I feel or I, I think I saw something. I, I, I believe I knew it was God. I was moved inside. And And what we start doing, we, we go to that place, and I, I feel like this means this. I, I believe this means that. And once again, there is a literal meaning, and there are principles that we can learn to gain the literal meaning, but I've already mentioned this before, and I'll mention again, context is everything. What is the context about? If you miss the context, you you miss the meaning of the passage. And the context can be found by a word or or a sentence or a statement that is being used in the passage that you're studying. It becomes adequate and clear as you're studying God's Word. You realize that words have meaning. Uh, You answer the questions we've already talked about. Um, You interpret it as normal, literal, historical, grammatical, using all those principles— you realize that you're reading something for what it is, it's literal, it's historical, it's grammatical, you realize the words have meaning, you're you're putting yourself at that point in time. It's almost like you're being transported back in time. That's why it is important to recognize the culture, to recognize the geography, to recognize the history of the passage in which you're reading. However, We cannot base the interpretation upon the culture, upon the geography or the history. If we do that, it's just as bad as trying to modernize the text or making it relevant for today. We can't do that. Because now we have created something that doesn't even exist before us. And people do this quite often. Um, and we've got to be careful, and even with the context, we've got to be careful that we don't create a pretext, that somehow we're bringing into uh, the passage, we're putting our own take on it, we're, we're taking a word or we're taking something, uh, and we're somehow creating the doctrine around it, and we're trying to make it say something else. We, we've got to be careful. We've got to find out what the context is. Um, theologians talk about exegesis versus eisegesis. In eisegesis, we isolate. We, we, we actually are putting into. We're creating something from something in there that doesn't really exist. But we're isolating, and then we, we kind of build upon it versus exegesis, which we're taking out of the text. And again I'm I'm trying to keep this simple. I'm not trying to talk like a theologian here or or you know creating an atmosphere. I'm trying to be like people have called me a blue collar theologian. We, we got to understand that exegesis is what we want. We want to find out what God had to say and why he said it. We want to find out what God means when he uses this word and when this when these sentences are repeated or the way they're structured. Uh we we got to understand things. Uh, of of geography and the culture and the history and what's taken place, the who, what, when, where, and why—all the stuff—we got to answer a lot of questions. Now, I know some people already are going to say, "Wow, I just thought you read the Bible." That's all. I think you're being a little bit too deep, Marty. You're going too far. I remember years and years ago, um, I was a part of a church, pastoring a church that was growing in leaps and bounds. In our midweek service, we had a huge turnout for Bible study. I'll never forget this. I had a lady come to me once. Never had this happen until that time. She said, i got to be honest with you. I'm not coming out to Bible study anymore. I said, why? I mean, she just shocked me. I I knew her and her husband. She said, I I just can't take it. I said, what's wrong? She goes, you're too deep. And at first I chuckled, and I think I, well, I made her mad. And I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I said, "I'm too deep. You got to be careful." Kidding me? The blue-collar theologian's too deep. I try to keep it as simple as I can. She says, "No, you just no. This this is like turning into some type of seminary class." I just open my Bible and read it, and whatever it says, it says. I said, "Okay, um, but that's all you." need. You don't need it. I don't need all this other principles. I don't need to do all this other stuff. I, I don't need to be this. Stu- I don't need to, to find out the Greek words and the Hebrew words. I, I, don't need to, I, I don't need to find out what the culture and the geography is all about. I, I don't need to use these Hermes something, whatever you call it. I said hermeneutical principle. Yeah, I don't need to do all that stuff. I just read the Bible. That's good enough for me. And i got to be honest with you, that's how a lot of people perceive, but at the same time, I I mean, when we read literature in general, don't we use principles? Don't we ask questions? Don't we seize things within the pages of Scripture, or excuse me, on the page that we're reading and the literature that we're reading? I think what what has happened is, is we begin to what I would simply call, many others have too, we begin to spiritualize everything. We just think when we read all of a sudden like Shazam, we're gonna get some revelation from God, or we're gonna hear these words. Marty, this is what the passage means. It means this. Or they gotta get a feeling. Oh, I didn't realize it meant that. Whoa. I be I know I'm being facetious here, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful either, but that's how some people come to the Bible very flippantly. And there is no conscious, you know, purposeful, meaningful desire to really know and to understand God's Word. They just take it for what they see, and if they get it, they get it. If they don't, oh well, who cares? I mean, that's really the attitude of many today, even those who teach the Bible, preach the Bible. I've said something down south and people get upset at me and I and again, maybe it's me sticking my foot in my mouth, and I I maybe I should be more sensitive, but I'm I'm just being honest. Since I've been in the South, what I hear a lot of is what I call the good old boy preaching and teaching. They handle God's word in such a way that all they're trying to do is get a rise out of people. Get people to say, "Hey, man, preacher brother, hallelujah!" That's great stuff. There. there, there's a whoo. You know, they're getting all excited and everything. But the truth of the matter is, it's a it's a mile wide and a quarter inch deep. There is no depth. They'll use certain verses all the time. John three sixteen, which again, that's God's holy word. Is it's a great verse in the Bible. It's from God, but they'll use it they'll quote this they'll quote that and they get people to hoop to holler get all excited they'll tell a lot of stories throw in a few jokes in there and people come out and say wow wasn't that a great service hallelujah or they get people excited enough to clap jump up and down you know skip over a pew whatever the case may be i call it good old boy preaching but they have never equipped the people and i got to be honest with you even where i was raised in western Pennsylvania. There's a lot of that goes on. I mean, it goes on everywhere. There's no depth. There's no real learning and in instructing people uh, in the Word of God. As I have mentioned to you before, there's many people that don't even know, you know, a concordance. What is a concordance in the back of my Bible? Why are all these verses in the center column in my Bible or to the far- you know, right or left side on the page of my Bible? What's that all about? Why are there certain words and passages in the Bible that are italicized? What's that all about? Uh, why does it say, you know, you know, Greek means this? I mean, I could go on and on. There's people that just don't understand. And so pe- people just don't—and in, in once again— those who are trying to, and again, it's not woe is me, but those who are trying to help others make sense and realize this, this is helpful to you. Down through the ages, I didn't create this. Somebody created this to be helpful, meaningful, so that we can truly grasp the reference, the, the ways, the principles, the material that we that helps us. But some people just don't want that. <laughs> what they want is the Bible to say what they want it to say. They want to believe what they want to believe. And they're fine and dandy with that. And they'll tell you, well, I'm going to heaven. That's all that matters, Brother Marty. Okay, how do you know you're going to heaven? Now, see, there you go. I don't need to tell you, and I'm not going to tell you how I know I'm going to heaven. I just know that I know that I know. Matter of fact, uh, I've heard that (laughs) down south quite often. I know that I know that I know that I know. And I'm still trying to figure out what they do know. I mean, what does that mean? Can you share with me? Can we talk about it and see we don't want to go there? I I had a conversation the other day with somebody about marriage. Get this real quick. You know as well as I do that there are people engaged left and right in in sexual activity outside the marriage bed. They're involved in pornography, whether it be on the computer or on their phone. Um, They are cheating on their spouses. All kind of things are going on. Um, The marriages, some have said statistically divorce and marriage problems are greater inside the visible church than they are in the world around the church, which may be. That may be the case. I'm not an expert on those statistics. But I shared with this person, I said, you know what the problem is? And they said, tell me. I said, the problem is biblical. It's scriptural. It's spiritual. And he said, "Really?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "If you go to the book of First Corinthians, chapter seven, and you begin to study First Corinthians, chapter seven, actually, you could go and you can start really in chapter six and verse fifteen and start going down into chapter seven, you will see um, all that you need to find out about marriage." And and here here's just an example. Many married couples don't know what is expected from them when they say, I do. They don't understand what it means when the two become one. They don't understand how important and serious marriage is in the eyes of God, because God created marriage. God put man and woman together. You have those who don't want to accept that marriage is one man, one woman, and holy matrimony. And that holy part is God. What God has put together, let no man pull apart or put asunder. But also in there, it talks about, in chapter 7, about sexuality within the marriage bed. Now, does it tell you exactly what you can or can't do? And does it give, you know, description? But it makes it clear that a woman's body is not of her own, and a man's body is not of his own. But also must it clear in that passage that if we don't take care of one another, we cause the other to sin. That's my point. And that marriage should be enjoyed by a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. That's how God created it. I remember an old-time preacher said this to me once when I was just going into the ministry. He said, Marty, marriage, you know, God created marriage for two reasons— I said, what's that, sir? He said, to make children, to bring a lot of kids in this world. I said, yeah. He said, "On also to have fun. And he said, I've been married a long time, and I still have fun. <laughs> I thought to myself, you got to be kidding. But you know what? He's right. See, the problem is, is we don't understand things. We don't look at things. We don't realize what Paul is dealing with when he writes to the church at Corinth. He's just writing them a letter. He just just decides to throw something in there about marriage, and most people would say that Paul wasn't married. There's some that debate that what he was, but if he wasn't married, how could this man write about marriage? Well, because remember, all of Scripture is God-breathed. It begins with God. God's Word is His truth. He is the one telling us this is what marriage is about. This is my expectation. This is what will be a healthy, godly, good marriage. And I could go on and on. I'm, not, I'm just throwing that out as an example because of somebody I just talked to recently. But some people don't get that. They, they just don't get it. And when they don't get it because they haven't studied it, you know, once again, if you're looking how to fix your Ford 250 truck, you don't turn to the Bible. But you want to know how to truly be a father, a husband, what marriage is about, what it means to please God and to walk in such a way that is glorifying to God, what worship is about, the things that are spiritual, eternal, etc. We turn to the Bible. We don't necessarily turn to the Bible to find out, how do I make a pizza that will be better than any pizza that anybody else has? I know that sounds foolish, but I'm just being honest with you. But there's so much that God's Word has to give us about life and living a life that is pleasing to him. And why he created man and woman, because it was good. Because man, there was nobody for man. So what did he do? He put man into a deep sleep, and he took the rib out of man, and he created woman. The two would become one. I don't know about you, but I get excited. It's just my passion. But you begin to realize there's so much in God's Word here. So, again, if we use these principles, and I'm just going to repeat them, you know, um, again, you want to not make the Bible say what you want it to say. Uh, You're not holding on to, I think this is what it means. I feel like this is what it means. This is what I heard it means. Um, You're going to realize that context is everything. If you take something out of context, you miss the meaning. You need to interpret passages using the normal, literal, historical, grammatical principles, period. You, you, You need to look at the culture, the geography, the history. But you can't base the interpretation upon that, because if that be the case, then everything's cultural. Just like going back into the Levitical law and the people don't understand the difference between the moral law and the ceremonial law, etc., and they mix it all together, and they say, well, that was for back then, it's not for today. But then, I'll give this to you before I, I say goodbye today. Some people, what do we do within application? Well, I really believe application belongs to the Holy Spirit. And and I'll tell you why. You have a hundred people at a church service, and, and you have the pastor preaching, and he's preaching about marriage, hypothetically. A quarter of the congregation is not married, but they're there listening. Three quarters are married. Oh, by the way, I take that back. Another quarter is divorced, they were married at one time. Now they're not. So that leaves us half the congregation is married. Well, wait a minute. we got to take that another quarter of the congregation. They were married, but they're now widows. So now we just have a quarter of the congregation that is actually married at this time. The pastor preaches on marriage. Is that only for the quarter of the people? Should the rest of the people just leave and go home and say, hey, this ain't for me? Now, some people do that. They check out in the church service. They're like, hey, this ain't for me. You know what? My marriage stunk. It got worse. I should never have been married, blah, blah, blah. Or you have somebody say, you know, I used to be married, but I'm not anymore. I'm a widow. This ain't for me. (laughs) Or, excuse me, you have a young person who sits there and says, I don't even know if I'm going to be married. Not sure I want to be married. This this ain't for me. And we've all missed the boat. Because the application of any passage belongs to the Holy Spirit. For the person who's not married yet, a young person, the teaching of God's Word on marriage may help them. And that application that day as the Holy Spirit is convicting, is bringing um, illumination understanding to them, they may realize that someday when I get married, this is what marriage should look like. For the person who's been through a divorce, that application may be, you know what, I realize now what I could have done and should have done and I didn't do. Or maybe I didn't realize it was supposed to be that way. For the widow, it could be, well, you know, I may get married again. So, you know, though I had a great marriage the first time I want to make sure that this time you know that I have just as uh, great of a marriage or you know maybe I can help other people in the church who are struggling with marriage and then you come to the person who's married and and I'm just hypothetically throwing these out but the person who's married is like you know what uh, we want to protect ourselves we don't want to go down those roads we we want to Continue, you know, our our marriage has been rocky for now for a little while, and we don't want to end up in divorce. And you know, so the application for all the people who are truly listening, who have ears to hear, the application is going to be given by the Holy Spirit, and they're going to learn, and they're going to walk away with gaining something from God. That's what it's all about. And, and again we have to realize of looking at our own life. And though, again, we look at the culture, the geography, the history, we look at what is being done and what is being, you know, came from God, we see the human writer, author, we see the people it's written to, Uh, we realize all the things, the who, what, when, where, and why, what is applied to us is done so by God, the Holy Spirit, which will bring us spiritual growth, which will bring us a life that truly is pleasing to God, we will gain something, and we will go away not just hearing mere words, but words of life, words of hope, words that will help us to become more and more like Jesus. I hope this is helpful to you today. I truly mean that with all that is within me. As we continue the study, we're going to do another podcast or two and then change directions, but hopefully I this has been helpful to you. But again, I'd love to hear from you. Email me, MartyMinto at gmail.com, and uh, I'll try to answer as many questions of that you have the best I can. Until next time, God's blessing upon you and your family. about it Ain't no real big sticker, all you say is sometime you make it around